Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Quinn. Welcome to Viral. This is episode number 35. And um, what do we do on this podcast, Lindsay? Well, this podcast is hosted by two public health nerds, and we talk about the history of plagues, uh, other disease outbreaks, and the people who work behind the scenes to keep us safe and healthy. Yeah. So today on the show, we are going to talk about measles, a topic that should be banished to the back pages of history, but sadly is coming back even though we have a safe and effective vaccine that protects us from contracting the disease. More on that later. Yes. So what do we know about measles and how long has it been around? How long do you think it's been around? I believe measles probably probably been around since the dawn of humanity. <laughs> probably. Um, but the earliest written record, which is really all we have mm-hmm. to, to go by, comes from around the third century when Chinese alchemist Ko Hung described the difference between smallpox and measles, which are both similar in the way they look. Um, Until that point, people just knew that if you got a serious illness where rashes and sores developed all over your body, you were probably in for some trouble. That sounds about right. However, it wasn't identified as its own unique disease. We just knew, uh, maybe it's a little bit different from smallpox. It wasn't um, identified as its own thing until the ninth century when a legendary Persian polymath named Al-Razi wrote a book on it. And Al-Razi is one of my favorite historical figures, and I would like to do an episode about him sometime just to talk about his life. We'll add that to the list. Known also as the father of pharmacy, he was the first to produce the compound sulfuric acid, wrote over 200 manuscripts, and wrote the first ever book about pediatric medicine. He attracted students of all backgrounds and interests and was said to be compassionate and devoted to the service of his patients, whether rich or poor. What a concept. Dang. Humanity, y'all. I would like to do a whole episode about him sometime because he deserves it. So here's a whole vivid passage written by Razi. The eruption of smallpox is preceded by a continued fever, pain in the back, itching in the nose, and nightmares during sleep. Oh, I just like rupture. Rupture. (laughs) These are the more acute symptoms of its approach, together with a noticeable pain in the back accompanied by fever and an itching felt by the patient all over his body. A swelling of the face appears, which comes and goes, and one notices an overall inflammatory color noticeable as a strong redness on both cheeks and around both eyes. One experiences a heaviness of the whole body and great restlessness, which expresses itself as a lot of stretching and yawning. Sounds like grad school. I know. There's a pain in the throat and the chest, and one finds it difficult to breathe and cough. Additional symptoms are dryness of breath, thick spittle, hoarseness of voice, pain and heaviness of the head, restlessness, nausea, and anxiety. Note the difference. Restlessness, nausea, and anxiety occur more frequently with measles than with smallpox. 
At the other hand, pain in the back is more apparent with smallpox than with measles. Altogether, one experiences heat over the whole body. One has an inflamed colon. How, how do we know? How, how did you know what that? What does that test look like? <laughs> and one shows an overall shining redness with a very pronounced redness of the gums. Ooh. Yeah, inflamed colon, I have to question, but... That's a great band name. Oh, yeah, that's some kind of band name. Mm-hmm. So moving on, Christopher Columbus, who is a historically important, but not for discovering America per se, as it's popularly understood, he brought a whole bunch of deadly diseases from Europe and introduced them to North America, and including measles. Overall, a horrible human being. Not one of the good ones. Nope. So, measles is a virus, and an incredibly contagious virus at that. Before 1963, the year the measles vaccine was introduced and became available, nearly all children contracted it. It is estimated that three to four million people in the, in the United States were effect, infected each year. Wow. Also, around 500 people died each year, along with 48,000 hospitalizations. So it was not something to be taken lightly, even though a lot of people got it and did survive. But there's like a lot of morbidity attached to that, too. Oh, yeah, 48,000 hospitalizations. It's not fun to be in the right. hospital. And, cro- and some chronic disability. Yeah. So a vaccine was invented by a man named John Enders and his colleagues in 1963 by isolating some blood from an infected student living in Boston, Massachusetts. They created a weakened version of the virus and used that to build people's immunity to that virus. That's an oversimplified version of how it works, but you kind of get the gist. So a little bit about John Enders. At this point in his career, he had already won a Nobel Prize 10 years before. Dang. I don't know about you, but I would have just, like, called it a career after winning a Nobel Prize. Just like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm good. I did it. I'm good. He wasn't satisfied. He was a part of a team that successfully cultured the polio virus in 1954, which enabled scientists like Jonas Salk to produce large quantities in order to eventually create the polio vaccine. Uh Salk became a public health hero, but failed to credit a lot of the research that came before him, which enabled him to create the vaccine. Not cool, Jonas Salk. And I know he's like a cool guy, except for this part. Uh, John Enders basically made it possible for him to create the vaccine by isolating the virus, Mm -hmm. but he was just like, I did it, everyone. All by myself. Um, So I also want to point out that John Enders has a bust of his head in the Polio Hall of Fame. Cool. Which is located in Warm Springs, Georgia. So you can work that into your tour of the southeastern United States and let us know how that is. Yeah, let us know about that bust. Polio Hall of of Fame. Yeah. So because of of this... um, This is all history, and history is ultimately full of tragedies. I have to bring you down a little bit. Um, John Enders and his colleague, Thomas Peebles, did their first trials of the measles vaccine 
on 1,500 mentally retarded children in New York City and 4,000 children in Nigeria in 1960, sorry, before rolling it out to the public. Well, this was definitely, what, before the Belmont Report, where we were like, yeah, so we should maybe have some, like, human subject standards where we don't harm people. Uh, So, I guess, in their eyes, the mentally challenged and the Nigerian children were less valuable. So, if something went wrong with the vaccine, they could just say, whoopsies, and try something different. The dark, dark history of some of our greatest medical achievements. Yeah, I think we need to, like, even though we have this technology, we shouldn't not use the technology because it was acquired in less than ethical means, but rather understand the the history and try not to repeat it in the future. I mean, we have this vaccine, but we have to understand that and honor the people that did, yeah. you know, I mean, these, these children who I don't even know how much consent they, if you're uh, mentally challenged, you, in terms of giving consent to be part of a research study, I don't really think so. That is why that particular population has added protection. Yeah. So needless to say, that is wildly unethical. Um, but I guess the good thing is the vaccine worked. Cool. And by 1981, the number of reported measles cases was reduced by 80% compared to the previous year. Wow. So at this point, I want to do just a little vocab. There are two basic types of vaccines, the live attenuated and the inactivated. The live attenuated vaccines are produced by modifying a disease-producing virus in a lab where the resulting vaccine organism retains the ability to replicate and produce immunity, but does not cause cause illness. Uh, Inactivated vaccines can be composed of either whole viruses or fractions of either, so it's just like a little piece of a virus, where the inactivated vaccines are not alive even though just calling a virus alive is a stretch in the first place, but they cannot replicate. They're just little pieces. Right, and they don't cause the illness symptoms and all of that. Right. So they also cannot cause disease, but the inactivated often requires multiple doses. Um, Hmm. The measles vaccine is given as a combination vaccine, which also protects us from mumps and rubella these two different diseases that maybe we should do profiles of another Mm -hmm. time. So this MMR, which is mumps and rubella and measles, um, is is an attenuated, weakened live virus vaccine. This means that after injection, the viruses sometimes, uh, they can cause a harmless infection in the vaccinated person with very few, if any, symptoms before they are eliminated from the body, and then the body can recognize the full like virus in the wild and uh-huh. attack it faster. The person's immune system fights the infection caused by these weakened viruses, and immunity, aka the body's protection from the virus, develops. So we have those two different kind of strategies that we use huh. 
uh, in vaccines. I did to, not know that. Yeah, the live attenuated versus the inactivated. So pay attention if you know when you're getting your flu vaccine, what type it is, and um, that's that's basically what that means. So yeah, uh, history of measles. There's some good stuff. There's some not so good stuff, but ultimately we should have pretty much fixed this, right? Yeah, so we all lived we, did it. we we all lived happily ever after, right, Quinn? <laughs> right? Measles is at bay. We're just living our best measle free lives, right? Hashtag measles free life. Yeah. <laughs> uh wrong. Oh, Actually. No. Hate to burst your little um, vaccinated bubble, Quinn. <gasps> Um, measles, like acid-washed jeans, is making an unsavory and unnecessary comeback oh. here in our own backyard and across the globe. Here in Pinellas County, Florida, we have actually had seven cases of measles in the past 30 days, which is extremely abnormal. The last case of measles was in 1998. The cause? Unvaccinated children in the same household. Oh, but we have a vaccine. Hmm. Interesting, right? Yes, people are choosing to not vaccinate their children and themselves. This is not news to most of us that work in public health. We've been dealing with this new wave of misinformation around vaccines for years now, but there may be some of us and others that don't really understand how this happened. More specifically, how a movement of people have begun advocating against vaccinating their kids and protecting their communities from preventable diseases like measles. As Quinn has touched on, vaccines have changed human longevity and morbidity, especially among children. However, the success of vaccinations has led to the current flow of misinformation and anti-vaccine and the anti-vax movement. People are starting to forget the horrors of polio, rubella, and other preventable diseases that we vaccinate for now. There's also a fundamental misunderstanding behind the science of vaccines and herd immunity. So Quinn talked about the differences between vaccines. And I'm just going to give, just to support what he's saying, a very like basic overview of how vaccines work and how herd immunity works, because it goes hand in hand. So vaccines use weakened forms of the virus, whether that is a partial inactive virus or you know, a, what is it? What was it? The, what was it? Live like? attenuated. Live attenuated virus to teach the immune system how to fight the real disease. These weakened forms do not produce the symptoms or infection that the disease can, the actual disease can produce. When enough people have quote unquote smart immune systems to fight the disease, it makes it harder for the disease to find a host to start an infection and cause an outbreak. This is what's called herd immunity. Herd immunity is also important for those that cannot be immunized due to a weakened immune system, whether that's from chemotherapy or they may have some sort of disease that, you know, like HIV or leukemia, um, or those who are too young to be vaccinated. There are babies that can- Little babies. Little babies. Whooping cough is a great example of this. Unfortunately, many use herd immunity as a reason to not vaccinate. So they think, well, everyone else is vaccinated, so why do I need to vaccinate my kids? Here's the thing, you're not the only person who probably thinks this, and therefore you are actually weakening herd immunity, and basically you are weakening the very mechanism that you're claiming is protecting your child, which makes no sense. So how did we get to this point, 
right? Well, the anti-vax movement is not new. Communities have been fighting compulsory vaccination since the mid-1800s. In fact, the first public health law enforced by the state and supported by the U.S. Supreme Court was regarding the ability of the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts to enforce compulsory vaccinations for residents. And that was Jacobson versus Massachusetts. This was a big public health law saying that the, the right for the state to enforce public health law for public good superseded individual rights. I remember Which also about that. really lends itself to quarantine and that sort of thing. So many of those who choose not to vaccinate have also used religious reasons as the impetus for refusal. Those of the Catholic faith have cited the development of some vaccines using cells from aborted fetuses as their reason for not vaccinating, despite Vatican support for protecting children from preventable disease in this particular case. So the Vatican actually came out with a statement saying, listen, yes, the development of this vaccine uses it abor used aborted fetuses, we clearly do not support that. But in cases where we cannot find alternative forms of vaccination that aren't developed from this particular method, it's more important to prevent children from dying than it is you know, to not use these particular vaccines. Mm -hmm. People apparently still cite this as a reason not to vaccinate. There are obviously other religions that you know don't believe in medical intervention, like mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, so, and that's why we get into the whole thing with personal versus religious exemptions and that sort of thing. But, yeah. so now we have social media and modern day snake oil salesmen posing as legitimate researchers. Meet Andrew Wakefield. Uh, boo. Boo. Yeah, boo. you want to talk about a public, public health villain? Mm. Dr. Wakefield is like poster child. Yeah. Uh, Wakefield was a researcher in the UK looking at the connections between the MMR vaccine, which we talked about earlier, measles, mumps, rubella, irritable bowel syndrome, and autism. He published a, a paper in The Lancet, which is a prominent medical journal, stating that there was not enough safety research on vaccine, and this is what is causing autism in children. His study was extremely problematic. His sample size was small. It was very biased. And then later on, it came out that he was actually being paid by lawyers of parents looking to sue for alleged harm to their children who had gotten the MMR vaccine. Lots of ethical implications here. So because of this, the Lancet retracted his paper and Wakefield lost his medical license, which is a big deal. It's yeah. a big deal. Yep. This, however, has not stopped him from speaking to parents and communities, promoting his flawed study and views and fueling the anti-vaccination movement. There have been subsequent studies done across the globe in the medical community that have debunked the vaccine autism link. So vaccines do not, and I repeat, do not cause autism. I don't know how I can make that more clear. <laughs> they do not. So they... They don't. Don't. They do not. They're, okay. They all, right. Do not. Just, all right. Yeah. There have been studies that, looked, that have looked at over a million children to look at this potential link. There is none. Mm. 
Others have pointed to the use of mercury in vaccines as the cause of autism in children. Science and research be damned, celebrities like Jenny McCarthy and her now ex-husband Jim Carrey have started campaigns like Green Our Vaccines. Yeah. This okay. can Yeah. So this campaign advocates for removing quote unquote toxins in vaccines like mercury known as thimerosal. The problem is, the problem here is that thimerosal has not been in vaccines since 1999 and there has been no research to link autism to this comp this mercury mercury compound. There's also a fundamental misunderstanding of mercury and its use in thimerosal. It is the kind of mercury that does not cause mad hatter's disease or other types of brain damage. I could get into the different types of mercury, but I, anyway. Despite all of this, right, despite the fact that we have a lot of science to, you know, back up and say, listen, this is ridiculous and, you know, um, this isn't real. <laughs> this is not real. Um, you know, in the United States, we actually do have a um, vaccine uh, court. So if you do have, if, if you think that, you know, your child has been harmed after being given a vaccine, you can actually go to this specific court and they, you can make a claim. Hmm. And, um, which is very interesting. That is interesting. Like, <laughs> it's like Judge Judy, but... Well, and it's extremely hard to prove prove causation, right? Right. Especially when you think about, you know, the time that we're, at the time in a child's development when we're giving vaccines is the time where a lot of things start to come up and we start screening for things like autism, um, like other, you know, abnormal developments in children. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that is also something that has lent itself to fueling the anti-vax movement. So anyway, despite all of this, groups of educated, higher, middle to higher income moms continue mm-hmm. to fear vaccines cause autism rather than fear measles causing chronic disability in their kids. The anti-vax right. movement is not unique to America. In fact, some feel that it is worse in Europe. In the first six months of this year, 2018, there have been 41,000 cases of measles in children and adults across Europe. That's a lot. And the reason? Unvaccinated children and adults, as well as increased migration and travel. And that's what's contributed to this frightening spike in cases. Yeah. Coupled, of course, with this is a is our fragile and stretched out global public health response system, making this extremely troubling. How do we talk to scared parents about their social responsibility to their community as compared to their duty and love of their individual child? We're fighting scientific ignorance, parental love, and fear fueled by anecdotal evidence spread through social media and the internet. Is the perfect storm of ignorance an infectious threat? Yeah, it's it's hard, especially when people don't trust the institutions that did all the research well when we have a history of vulnerable populations being used and abused for research and then on top of that we live in an age of fake news and fear Mm -hmm. of institutions you know um you just choose not to believe something because it goes against what 
you think is the truth. So Yeah, and it feels like conspiracy theory is like I don't it's like the new thing. It's like, it well, is. you know, I heard blah 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 and it's like, no. <laughs> Just because you heard it doesn't mean it's true. Especially if it's on the internet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, um, people in my own family, despite me being a public health practitioner, have told me, I will not vaccine my children because I don't want them to get autism. Or, you know, I have my, ch my kids have autism and I think it was vaccines that caused it. Which is also problematic because they're assuming then that having autism makes you less of a person. Mm -hmm. It's worse you than are, death. You are a less valuable human being mm -hmm. rather than like, and I know there's a lot of challenges associated with right. raising a person who has autism or is on the autism spectrum, but they're still humans. And by saying that like, this goes into the whole eugenics situation of yeah. um, if I could eliminate any risk of my child developing X, Y, or Z, whether that's some disease risk or a aesthetic feature of, mm -hmm. oh, I want my child to have blue eyes or I want mm -hmm. my child to mm -hmm. be tall and be at this and that. Um, gets us down a sort of weird, weird rabbit hole of ethical, uh, yeah. yeah. So there are many instances of people with autism living fully productive lives and having uh, uh, relationships and having yeah. a career mm -hmm. and figuring out, you know, how to navigate the world. but we put so much stigma on, and this is not even me saying that there is, there is no legitimate link between vaccines and autism, but even like there isn't, first of all, there isn't, there but is like not. autism is not also a death sentence. Whereas and, and measles absolutely could be. It could be, I mean, People die and are hospitalized because of measles, and it's they have they get they, they can have brain damage, they can lose their hearing. I mean, they can have physical disabilities that that produce right. chronic pain for the rest of their lives. This right. isn't just like I hear a lot that measles is like chickenpox. It is not like chickenpox. No, it's not like chickenpox. And to think that like you know, well, chickenpox chickenpox is a rite of passage for children. Uh. I'm sorry, but diseases should not be a rite of passage for children. We no, don't live in the 1800s. Yeah, people Vaccines died. should be a rite of passage for children. Yeah. And even when we think about adults, I mean, I've even seen like Facebook posts about how the flu isn't a virus. It's a set of symptoms that has to do with dehydration. And I'm like, I, I don't even know how to... Mm. You just need to like hydrate more and then detox your body which is just bullshit <laughs> so no so get your vaccines get your vaccines please and make sure that you are um contributing to the herd immunity and not detracting from it right especially when we think about the fundamentals of public health 
we're thinking about, you know, obviously taking care of ourselves as individuals, but also taking care of our community. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of a better example of, of contributing to community health than getting vaccinated. Because it's not just for you, it's for the kid that has leukemia that can't get vaccinated. Or the baby. Yeah, the baby that can get can. whooping cough. Yeah, you yes. Babies can die of whooping cough. Yep. So, I mean, I, this is definitely a hill I would die on, I think. Yeah. Because um, I just, and, and vaccines have been called, you know, the public health achievement like the public health achievement because we've gotten to a point where people don't even remember what it was like to have polio. That's how far we've gotten. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's also hurt us in a way. Right. So ask your grandparents. Exactly. Yeah. Like ask them what it was like seeing, you know, like do you remember like before vaccines were available? What was it like? Because I'm sure they have some crazy stories and it's important to hear those stories. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway. So, um, what are you enjoying? What am I enjoying right now? What have you recently enjoyed? Um, I'm watching Ozarks right now, which is really, really good. Uh, big fan of Jason Bateman. Mm -hmm. I was very disappointed with an interview that he did over the Arrested Development Season 6, but we won't get into that. But he's a very good actor. Um, and (laughs) learning a lot about money laundering. Which is super interesting. Okay. Uh, sure. Not that I want to get into that. Um, you might in the future. Yeah. You know what? If the public health thing doesn't work out. Um, but I'm also like not great with money. So I don't know how long that's going to work. Um, so yeah. And I've been getting caught up on Lore, which mm-hmm. is a podcast that's kind of like, um, uh, are you afraid of the dark but for adults? A little bit. It's pretty great. Yeah. So yeah. What about cool. you? Um, I've been listening to audiobooks. Uh-huh. I listened to uh, H. John Benjamin's book, um, Failure is an Option, an Attempted Memoir, which was good. Um, and also he narrates it. Oh, which is even better because so his just voice is like butter. Get to spend some time with H. John Benjamin. Um, I've also listened to Bob Woodward's book, Fear, Trump in the White House. Oh, my God. How was which that? Which was frightening. Uh-huh. Um, I recently read the book The Hike by Drew McGarry, which uh-huh. was a super weird and fun read. Um, I've been watching the show Vikings. Oh, how is that? That uh, HBO, not HBO, um, the History Channel uh-huh. put on, and it's it's pretty good. It's just okay. like... Rah. Yeah, I like all the like like braided hair and just like yes, badass women is, that are in it. There are lots of badass women in it. So yeah, um, what else? I've also been reading the new Jim Crow Mass Incarceration uh, by Michelle Alexander, which is eye-opening. I bet. And um, yeah, I've been trying to arm myself with knowledge about social Ooh, justice issues. Good. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I, a lot of lot of interesting things going on. Yeah. Um, I've just been doing a lot. As I've said on the show before, I do a lot with the League of Women Voters locally. So we've been doing a lot of voter education, talking about Florida has this crazy process where every 20 years we review our constitution. And oh, then fun. whoever is governor gets to appoint a constitutional review commission. 
Which is crazy because they look at all of our amendments and say, I don't like that one or oh let's reword this or like let's put something crazy in here and then we can't vote on it again until the next 20 years right um this has been a really interesting process just because they've combined amendments um together and our supreme court has actually um struck some of these amendments off of the november ballot because they are so poorly written and um, cool. a, a, a form of voter suppression, honestly, because oh. it's a yeah. kind of like um, Sophie, <laughs> Sophie's choice of like horrible things. Um, Great. A really good example of this is Amendment 9, which has to do with, <laughs> they're calling it an environmental health amendment. Uh, they are banning offshore drilling and banning vaping in public. Yeah, those things have to do with each other. Yeah. and. They totally belong in our constitution. constitution. So basically this is a way for legislators who have not passed any legislation in the last, you know, eight years uh, to say like, oh, let's just like muscle this through and then it makes it look like we've done our jobs. Yeah. So, so that's been really fun. Um, I highly recommend, uh, you know, looking for any sort of nonpartisan voter guide because midterms are coming up. That's right. And educating yourself. Uh, the league is all over the United States. We do provide nonpartisan voter guides and um, vote. Just get out there and vote. I mean, some t some things don't seem like they're related to public health or related to your directly to your life, but they are. Especially when we, when we start talking about cutting taxes or reducing tax revenue, a lot of those tax a lot of tax revenue supports public health efforts. Mm -hmm. whether it's at the county or state level. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, um, I think that about does it for this episode of Viral. Uh, is there anything we would like to remind listeners of uh, before we go? What are we, where can they find out more information about the show? They can go to www.viral-pod.com. Right now the site is under construction, so keep that in mind. But we do have a Facebook page and a Twitter. So please like us on Facebook. Yes. Please follow us on Twitter. We will post information about episodes. Um, and then when our site is finally back online, um, you can subscribe to our newsletter there. We do have merch if you're interested. Um, yeah. Cool, and feel free cool, to reach cool. out to us. You can actually get a hold of us directly through our website. Yeah. We'd love to hear from people. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that, we will uh, let you guys go. And before we go, we just want to remind you all to please wash your hands. Until next time, I've been Quinn Lundquist. I'm Lindsay Grove. Take it easy, sleazy peasy. Oh, God. <laughs> Great job. <laughs>